You're listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode is brought to you by AFIA, a symmetry company, and Symmetry Consulting Services. Where you see challenges, Symmetry Consultants see rewarding solutions. Today's episode is hosted by Kathy Pulaski-Detling, Vice President of Clinical Strategies at AFIA, a symmetry company, and Melissa Gordon, Senior Manager at Symmetry. Join them to learn how to stay calm in chaos, safety in challenging situations for community workforce safety. Thank you for joining us. If you've listened to episode one, three ways to prioritize safety and community-based workforce on the front lines. Today, we're here with episode two. Again, my name is Melissa Gordon. I'm a registered nurse with Symmetry Healthcare Consulting on the clinical operations team and have been in the home health hospice and private duty industry for a couple of decades. And this is a very important topic and we're happy to bring you this content. And I'd like to just have my colleague, Kathy, introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Kathy Detting, and I'm a master's level clinical psychologist, and I work as a clinical strategies consultant with Symmetry. And prior to becoming a consultant, I spent 26 years working in the community behavioral health world, providing office, home, and community-based services. Thank you, Kathy. So episode two is Calm in Chaos, Safety in Challenging Situations in Community Workforce Safety. Another important part of our podcast here. Today, we're going to introduce some unique safety challenges that are faced by community-based staff that provide services, uh, particularly to high-risk individuals, either visiting in their homes or visiting in group homes, depending on where we see our patients today. Well, Melissa, let's start by talking about some proactive strategies to manage, you know, potentially hostile or risky situations that could be faced by our community-based workforce. Yes, and I'd like to preface it with saying I I hope our community-based providers are receiving the training, and we'll go into that a little bit more later, but it's really important to be prepared for just about every situation that you can think of, right? And putting some of those strategies, and I know in episode one, we talked a little bit about different types of strategies when you're doing your assessment prior to visiting. And it's very similar as well. For instance, to be prepared for any situation, think first about when you're going to that home environment, you want to make sure you're parking your car in a place where it's safe, where in a place where you can actually leave quickly if you need to leave quickly. And how are you parked your car? Are you backing in your car? Are you pulling in an area Again, where you're able to quickly get in the car and leave if you need to. You also want to consider when you're entering that home environment to see your client or your patient is what are you bringing in the home? And I think we learned a lot during COVID about, you know, carrying as little as you need to to complete your visit. So, for instance, if you are that home health nurse, if you have to bring wound care supplies in, where are you putting them? I actually always preferred to use a backpack. I thought my backpack was, it was convenient and I can put it on my back or I could put it on the front. But we've learned again a lot through COVID. Do we bring in disposable items and leave them there? Only the essentials, meaning maybe you bring your blood pressure cuff, your thermometer, and you didn't really need to bring anything else. So think smarter about what you're bringing into the home. So when you do that and before you walk into the home, you also want to make sure that you're looking at your past visit notes seeing if there's anything that the previous clinician left for you. Did the referral contain any additional information that they have a dog? And know then when you get in the home, 
Are you walking into the home and you're staying near the door? Are you positioning yourself to make sure that, again, if there was a need, there's a quick exit? So we always want to walk into our environment and do that quick assessment, also observing who is in the room as well. So we've got a good idea as to, well, I'm going to see my patient over here by the door, or maybe I can't and I need to walk through the house. And then I'm continuing my visual assessment as I'm walking through the house. Know who's in the house, which is really important. I always ask when I, I've always asked when I got in the door, are you alone? Anyone else coming to visit you? Is there anyone here that I should introduce myself to? And if there is, we always say, you know, is it okay if I take care of mom in this room? Mom, is it okay if someone else is in the room with me? So we want to make sure that we're asking all the right questions prior to even starting treatment, getting into paperwork. We're again, still doing that assessment and that risk. So in addition, when you're getting in there and if you see anything that is concerning to you, but you know, your judgment is saying that you still feel safe, you want to be able to document any potential risks. And that could that runs the gamut of anything. That means maybe that there's holes in the wall, the stairs were all, you know, crumbled when you walked up the stairs. But that could also mean some other issues. Maybe that dog wasn't put away when you were there and you've asked several times. Maybe there was some drugs in the home. So we want to be able to document and then report and we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. And I think a good example of that also is as part of the risk assessment in those agreements, weapons in the home, having that conversation and having the agreement ahead of time that, you know, when services are being provided, weapons should be, you know, stored safely and stored safely anyway, just as a general practice. So a lot of those agreements that are done proactively can really come in play as part of your proactive strategies. And when it comes to anything like that, dogs, weapons, drugs, refer back to your company policies, your agency policies. What do you need to follow? If you have a company policy that says, if you see a gun in the house, you are to leave and you are not to go back to that house, then that is a discussion with you, your manager, and then the doctor or the you know, prescribing clinician to make sure that everyone is remaining safe. So when you're confronted with a situation that starts escalating into a crisis, Kathy, what are some of the escalation techniques uh, that, that you have used and the experts recommend? I think it's really important to understand that not every crisis is a risk to safety and not every crisis can be pre-planned. So the first thing that when, when it appears that a crisis is happening, I always encourage people to seek to understand what the crisis is about and what initiated it. I had, you know, for example, I had a case manager who was really concerned about going to a particular home because she was um, receiving phone calls from the homeowner that were very angry about bills not about bills not being correct. And she was really, you know, she didn't, she was wondering if maybe she should bring the police out at the next time she, she went to the appointment, which again, as part of safety protocols, you know, when people are threatened, that may be an option. But in, in working with her, um, she and I went out to the home and what we found is that there was a glitch in our system 
that was leading to the home not being paid for some of the room and board costs. And this was really impacting this business. So people weren't getting paid. And so understanding the, the crisis and not just how it's impacting, you know, the worker, but if we had refused service to the person, that would have had a really bad outcome. So seeking that understanding of what is really initiating the crisis. I think the second step is really to use a calm, confident action that can really diffuse the situation rather than escalating it. You know, our overall goal with any situation is really to maintain dignity and making sure that everybody stays safe, including the, you know, the, our workforce, including the individual receiving services. So understanding that if somebody is in intense pain or so frustrated that trying to reason with that person is really can escalate the situation. And having that worker understand that what is happening is not personal, it's not directed towards the worker, it's really in reaction to that, the overall experience really is important in order to help maintain that calm, calm exterior. I think that, you know, and nothing can be fixed immediately oftentimes in a crisis, but seeking to understand it, seeking to take baby steps to resolve it, you know, may be of help. I think oftentimes when there's a recent, you know, a crisis situation, people think that maybe a show of force can be helpful, but in my experience, a show of force really um, can more rapidly escalate the situation and suddenly you have lots of people with, with physical interaction you know, that can wind up, somebody could be hurt or anything like that. So oftentimes when people build safety plans, calling 911 is often the first option. And really what we recommend with crisis intervention is, you know, calling 911 is really only the option if that's the only means to protect everybody's safety. But having that pre-plan of what to do when somebody's in crisis, really, and utilizing those strategies can really be of help. But I think that if there's the potential for violence that's really high, Mm -hmm. go back to that trust your gut and leave. Yeah. And I had told you, I had an example of, you know, when I walked into the house and there was a gun on the table, there's a few people in the home. I think within a couple of minutes, I, I just said, I have left something in the car and I would be right back. And I got in the car and I left. And it was probably only within a few seconds of noticing it, turning around and leaving and, you know, reported it. And I think that you have to go with your gut and you have to go with you know, you see something again, know your policies and know yourself. You brought up a really good point about reporting it because I think I, I think that at times staff may write it off or minimize it, but I think it's really important to document if there's a pattern of, you know, escalation or triggers just to be able to create a plan with that for that. Yes, and Continuing on documenting, it's alerting your team, it's alerting the clinicians involved, the prescribing clinicians, and it's making sure that you get the extra support in place that that client or that patient knows. Um, so, Kathy, what are some of the key points? I think what we've talked about is, number one, the pre-appointment strategies, which are really general to all community-based workers. Is you know, know, understanding the neighborhood, knowing where to park, making sure that, you know, you assess risk at every appointment, 
Carrie, basically walking in, carrying light, don't, you know, especially if this is a situation where there's a little bit more risk, you know, always, I think a big key thing that you said is ask who's in the house and really just have an ongoing documentation of anything that is risky as part of that. The second thing we we talked about and really want to stress is think smart in the moment, stay calm, make sure you have some um, de-escalation skills in your pocket. And lastly, reports what's happening during, if able, and after. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this. And we want to encourage everybody to prioritize their own safety and well-being so that we keep our community-based workforce safe and sound. And we look forward to continue this conversation on our next podcast. 